Welcome to the Japan What Podcast, episode 104 from the Toshihisa Cho Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. It is I, Matthew PMBigelow.com, which is where you can go and get everything related to this podcast that focuses on AI trends from Tokyo, rising conflict in the Indo Pacific, odd items, and news analysis from right here. In the armpit of Asia. And I'm having what you're having, Mr. Listener or Ms. Listener. Ah. Delicious. Wow. Well, um, finally getting some rain here in Tokyo. That's not very interesting, except for the past month, it's been 36 degrees pretty much every single day. Sunny as all fudge, and uh, it's nice to get some relief uh, every once in a while. And today we do have that relief, but um, it's getting crazy again. Let me tell you, everybody's trying to move on from the the old COVID thing, but we're seeing a resurgence, and I'm going to get into it a little bit today uh, with a personal story as well. But first, let's cover some uh, odd news uh, you know, we're finally getting some relief today, but for the past month, like I just said, it's been like 36, 35, 34, super amounts of heat. And there's been a um, wearable tech is, is becoming a, a bigger and bigger thing. It started with construction workers who would get little vests with uh, uh, lithium ion battery fans. In them, uh, like, and then you could walk around in the summer heat and have an internal cooling system on your own uh, gear while you're working outside. And uh, it's interesting how these batteries are developing and all that. I quite, I quite like it. It's, it's to me, it's like it's getting away from technology as devices that connect to the internet and have algorithms programmed by weirdos in Silicon Valley that try to influence our buying behaviors. Even though, who knows, these things might exist because of those said technologies. So we're just frog leaping and hopping all over the place in the development of new tech. But the wearable tech, as long as it doesn't connect to the internet, is pretty cool. Um, and and why not? Why why not take advantage of microprocesses and computers to 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 benefit our lives? It, they're not cool though. That's the thing. A lot of the tech that you wear just doesn't look cool. Uh, even those um, earbuds from Apple, those really white ones, they you can see those from like five miles away, like thirty seven kilometers if you do the conversion incorrectly. And you're like, wow, that's one of those Apple things. It doesn't look cool though. It just it, it just looks like tech, doesn't it? But anyway, so this one comes to us from the Hate Read of the Week. New products from from Sora News 24, Casey Basile, wearable air conditioner belt. It's not a news story. I should stop talking like that. Uh, it's, it was released about a month ago, but this is a new product that some people might be interested in. Uh, summer in Japan with a wearable air conditioner belt. This is not for the construction worker. This is for the urban savant. Summer in Japan has reached the mercilessly hot phase, but even with the heat expected to continue, life goes on, and so does the need to venture outside for work, school, errands, and travel plans. So the most comfortable solution would be to find a way to venture outside without venturing away from the air conditioner. 
And offering a way to do just that is Tokyo-based gadget company's Glocher with its new wear cool device. And I'll have posted, uh, I will have posted the, uh, when this is released, the pictures up onto MatthewPMBigelow.com. And I've noticed that some people are accessing the site to listen to the podcast, but also just to, in a sense, go through the news links that I have there because I, I post extra information on there that I prepare for the show but don't get around to. And uh, it's curated. It's like a curated news list based on those things. And when I think about AI and stuff like that, I'm not trying to be like, whoa, chat GPT might be writing your test for you soon. Like, I think that's all stupid. I remember in the early 2000s, people would be like, wow, you can buy essays online and now online is going to be the new black market. And then, you know, but it just, it's, it's repeating the same thing. So when I think about AI, I think about automation, I think about wireless networks, and I, I think about um, uh, mostly those two things and also personal privacy and, and how we are marching into this, what could be um, very good or very bad situation. I worked in an IT company for five years teaching an AI course to AI engineers and uh, uh, VPs of a major telecommunications network in Japan. And some of those people went on to the uh, C-suite. So via them, I was able to research very interesting technologies. Back to the belt. Where cool is a belt? And the visual design, plus some of Glocher's promotional model photos, might make it look like one of those scam products that says it can give you a six-pack abs just by strapping it and letting it stimulate your abdominal muscles while you relax. But Wearcool doesn't send electrical pulses towards your core. It sends blasts of cool air towards your upper body instead. The belt's casing contains heat-absorbing PCM. What's that, you ask? Well, it's phase change material, of course, not photocommunicative material, and a series of fans whose airflow is funneled upward as they leave the fan's vents, the belt's vents. The device weighs 488 grams and shoots air at up to 5 meters per second, enough to blow your hair around. The device's mobile app uh, lets you control fan speed and toggle between using all the fans or only those in the front or back. So because this is now connected to your phone, it's now hackable. Essentially, so if somebody wanted to give your snatch a nice blow uh, via hacked Bluetooth interfaces, now they can. Glocher claims a maximum battery life of 17 hours. So if you're getting a healthy seven hours sleep a night, it's essentially an all-day option. And while the while the people modeling it are on the Silvelt side, the high-strex flex uh, flexile waistband can accommodate wears and waists between 70 and 105 centimeters. Um, there we go. So that's from the uh, PR Times via Sora News 24 via japantoday.com, which has the worst comment sections. And it's, it's crazy how many people write about Japan and talk about Japan who aren't in Japan. Even a lot of essayists will be like, ah, the Japanese habit of X, Y, and Z, and it's published in some major corporation. Like, well, where did this come from? It's like, well, the writer spent eight months in Japan in 2014 and has since been writing about Japan in southern France. You're like, what? Okay. All right. All right, Mr. Insight. Now, I told you about COVID, and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of COVID stuff going on and I don't want it to come back. I stopped caring about COVID in May, 2020. Um, and even in June or no, January of this year, 2023, it was still pretty crazy in Japan. 
Uh, I went to a government building to take care of some paperwork uh, at an international uh, building where, you know, a lot of people needing international paperwork go to get, go there to get their international paperwork done. And I went on a day where there was probably 1,500 people in the building. I was the only person not wearing a mask. Probably the only one of the few people who hadn't been vaccinated either. <laughs> Nobody died. Everybody's fine. Um it was, for me, it was all overblown and I wasn't like coughing on people. I was breathing in through my nose and I wasn't, you know, mouth breathing and all that. Anyways, the, the, I want the lunacy to stop. But even in the past few days, I've just noticed in my periphery, just like more masks popping up. Oh, that all those people over there are now wearing masks, you know, whereas uh, it would be down to one or two people in a group. So this comes to us from the Mainichi. Experts urge caution as new coronavirus variant of interest takes hold in Japan. And I don't want to just read the news about the coronavirus, so I'm going to tie this into some economy news um, and also some death news. Uh, let's just begin. The Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. Experts urge caution as new coronavirus variant of interest takes hold in Japan. And variant of interest is, of course, in quotation marks. So good. I'm having what you're having. Tokyo, as the new EG5, I've also heard this variant is called variant BS247. Uh, take, spreads globally. Experts are warning that it is somewhat more infectious than prior strains and may continue to take hold within Japan. Here we go. The experts. Which experts? Doesn't matter. Just experts. Take hold within Japan. Oh, okay. The World Health Organization, uh, headed by Mr. Tedros, a communist fighter in Ethiopia who allegedly covered up cholera outbreaks and is a real fan of China and Xi Jinping, allegedly. Um, according to the organization, EG.5 accounted for 21.1% of infections worldwide between July 24th and 30th. Um, by the way... Well, if you've ever read COVID-19, The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab, who set up the World Economic Forum, and uh, everybody now goes to the World Economic Forum in Davos to talk about not anything but business. It's just censorship, mostly. Um, in that book, he was saying that the world needs a rapid response, rapid response units that would be able to go to any country that receives a spike in um, viruses, uh, and this would be tabulated on a on a global scale. So you would have basically a dashboard of everywhere in the world where there's a virus, and then experts from the World Health Organization and tie-ups with um, uh, the World Economic Forum would be able to just kind of parachute into these hot spots and deal with it as it is there. But well, it seems a little bit dodgy to me. But it seems to be going on is what I'm saying. A lot of people will just say, that's a conspiracy theory. But you're like, well, then why is Klaus Schwab, who wrote this book and who's the head of this organization, meeting with the heads of state worldwide all the time and talking about those exact same things? It's like, you got to open up your eyes a little bit and realize that there's plans being developed and it's a big club and you're not in it and they don't like you very much. And just to go on and on and on, like if you look up on the news, some of these things, it's like, pfft. There's no, there's no such thing as a global concerted effort to inject COVID-19 vaccines into every baby alive five times. Well, you're like, well, 
well, I'm not talking about babies five times. I'm just talking about these are people who say that the whole world needs to be vaccinated with this thing and we can't refuse it. Well, that, yeah, but if you say that, this is the logic. Well, if you bring that up, then people will think that you want to vaccinate babies five times. Well, I'm not talking about that. But that's the, um, that's the media response. So people read the media response, then you can bring up something that you've read in a document and they will respond to you with the media response as if that's the response. It's not the response because those media operations are all bought and paid for <laughs> on purpose so that you don't know how to respond to things. You just take really important information, put it up into a ball, slap the word conspiracy on it, and then use it as shit to throw at other people who are trying to raise actual information about things that doesn't look good for the future if you care about your future. Uh, maybe you just care about your paycheck. Well, the variant represents a growing number of infections in East Asia, North America, and Europe. There are no reports of indicating it leads to more severe illness. BS274, uh, sorry, BS247, my bad, infections are also spreading in Japan. According to um, materials from a Tokyo Metropolitan Government analysis, EG.5 uh, accounted for 26% of the total number of cases from July 4, 24th to 30th, becoming the leading variant in the country. How many? Okay. Well, it goes to this. According to the data announced by the health ministry on August 18th, the average number of infected people reported by medical institutions nationwide over the period of August 7th to August 13th was 14.16. So the average number of people affected nationwide for a week period was 14. This may have been due to school summer breaks. And so it goes on like, 14 people are affected worldwide. Inoculations in Japan from this fall onward are expected to utilize the vaccines that were used against the XBB.1.5 Omicron subvariant. The two variants are seen as having a similar structure. Uh, and it goes on from there. So um, we are also seeing and hearing that a lot of uh, people are talking about six-foot distancing, um, and once this, like, I'm reading from the media, so once this gets into the media and Japanese people see this, they immediately go into panic mode a lot of the times. And I want to say don't do that. <coughs> well, before I move on to the economy, I want to take a look at, I, I did some tabulations from a dashboard website. And I'll be posting photos from this dashboard website. So if you want to go to the website and disagree with me, that's fine. I don't mind being wrong in this case. I'm just saying I did some research and from these sites, and I'm using the World Health Organization, which I disagree with because it's important to use information that you disagree with so that you're not just saying I'm in an echo chamber and I am right. Uh, that's the last thing I want to be, honestly. And I was compiling excess deaths um, in Japan. And this is a site that tabulates excess deaths and exiguous deaths. I'm not really exactly sure what exiguous deaths are. So I'm not going to, I did some research and it, it seems to be like a technical thing um, that's beyond the scope of what we need today. So this is some excess deaths, numbers on Japan, and we're going to begin with the time and then the deaths. So this dashboard goes back to 2017. So from, and I did two years just to compile them together. And this is, you know, from 2017, January to 2019, January, there was between 7,800 and 51,000 excess deaths for a two-year period, okay? And um, from 2020 to 
2021, January to January, there was. So this is when COVID hit and when we all started going nuts. I stopped going nuts in May 2020. So in the year 2020 to 2021, there was between 700 and 11,000 excess deaths. The previous two years combined was 7,800 to 51,000. So the big COVID year before the vaccine uh, had a decrease in deaths, actually. Um, 2021 January to 2022 January saw a massive uptick. This was between 13,000 to 58,000 excess deaths in a one-year period. The 2017 to 2019 period was between about 8,000 to 51,000. But the one-year period 2021 to 2022 was 13,000 to 60,000 about. So already we're seeing a massive uptick in deaths. And then from 2022 January to 2023 January, it was between 63,000 and 141,000 excess deaths one year. So we're seeing, this is when everybody's getting their, their doses and, and getting more and more vaccines. And I'm not saying that the vaccines are killing everybody. And this can't be COVID either, because according to the WHO, the total COVID deaths, <clears throat> and I've seen some Japanese uh, websites that say the total COVID deaths are about 48,000 or 45,000 people, but the WHO has them at 74,000. I'm just using the WHO, but... Every time you look at um, deaths, there's a range, right? Like this death in World War, the, this battle in war had between, some say between 7,500 deaths and 15,000 deaths. But the, given that the other side was writing the history at the time, there is no way to know the exact number, right? One of those things, and we're always living in those types of um, frameworks. So, but from 2023, can you believe we're already in the second half of 2023? From 2023, January to 2023, April, there was between 12,500 deaths and 27,000 excess deaths in Japan. So we're already seeing in 2023, and this is after everybody's kind of stopped taking all their boosters all the time. There are some people still doing that. We are seeing in the first quarter uh no the first first third of 2023 um already seeming to exceed the 20 the the two years total between 2017 and 2019 so 2017 to 2019 had 8000 to 51000 excess deaths and the first couple of uh the first four months of 2023 has between 12500 and 27000 excess deaths so no matter which way you look at it, we are looking at a massive amount of excess deaths. And the 2022 to 2023, January to January, 63,000 to 140,000 excess deaths. 2021 to 2022, about 13,500 to about 58,000 excess deaths. Uh, but there's a total number of COVID deaths of 74,000. So we can see that we have way more excess deaths and they're only increasing. The excess death numbers are going nuts in Japan. And you can say, well, why? Uh, what about the aging population? I'm like, well, what about long COVID? I'm like, yeah, sure, those things are fine. But there's more and more Japanese people moving up into the older ages of society. And 
Um, maybe more of them are dying, but we don't, we don't necessarily know. But I also know that pregnancies rapidly decreased uh, year on year. So <clears throat> all I'm saying is if we go down this road again, it's not going to be good. Moving to the economy. And this is all tying into those previous things. So we were doing hunky-dory before the pandemic. Not many people died, but we shut down the economy. We got, <laughs> we printed so much money. And everyone's like, time to move on. It's like, uh, no, your house is still kind of on fire and you're trying to set the table and eat on it. it it's burning still. There's, there's a, there's a, we are, every to switch to a, a water metaphor, the water is sloshing. Like we just threw a whole bunch of stuff into a bathtub filled with water and started taking a giant broom with a heavy mop at the end of it and just started swashing it back and forth into the bathtub. And we take out the broom and now the water is just sloshing around from one end to the other. And we're like, looks like the water's calm. Let's take a bath. And maybe, you know, I'm not, that's a weird way to say things, isn't it? Small and mid-sized firms going bankrupt post-pandemic. This comes to us from the Asahi Shimbun, Asia and Japan Watch, from August 21st, 2023. Um, and this, well, I'll take a picture of here of this. Uh, I'll screenshot that because it's uh, relevant to the podcast. A business owner front discusses coronavirus-related loans with an employee of a financial institution in Nagoya. So people were kind of going, okay, we got this coronavirus super crazy. We need to uh, shut everything down. And the government's like, well, here's some money. We just printed it. And they're like, okay, well, you can have some of this just printed money as a loan. And when everything goes back to normal after we've just burnt it all and then thrown a whole bunch of crazy stuff into the math water, everything will go back to normal. No, it's not going back to normal. Small and mid-sized businesses are going bankrupt at a faster pace than during the COVID-19 pandemic as loans taken out during the difficult economic times are coming due. In May, when COVID-19 was downgraded to the same category as seasonal influenza, there were 704 bankruptcy cases involving small and mid-sized companies, a year-on-year -year increase of 34.3%, according to the Tokyo Shoko Research Limited. In July, when repaying zero zero loans peaked, that's just a type of loan that was issued during that time, bankruptcy cases rose to 758, up 53.7% from the previous year. Provided by financial institutions to small and mid-sized firms whose sales fell during the pandemic, the loans were virtually interest-free and required no collateral. Many companies are beginning to repay the loans, which may lead to more bankruptcies. Quote, there is a strong tendency for companies to fall into excess debt and then give up on the continuing their businesses, said an official of Tokyo Shoko Research. In the loan system, the central and prefectural governments covered the interest on the loans. Oh, so they printed the money, issued loans, and then covered the interests. Hmm, wow, wow, what could go wrong? Let's have another pandemic. Public institutions such as local credit guarantee associations act as guarantors if the companies uh, fail to pay. Oh, really? Oh, okay, so public institutions do all the extra. This means if the principal cannot be collected, the burden virtually falls on public taxpayers. Oh, 
So why is the value of the yen going down? Why do I have a lot less money? <laughs> why are there so many fewer jobs? Oh, because of the response to the pandemic. And so many people who went along with it are just like, yeah, well, now it's time to go back to normal, right? And it's like, well, mm, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, in the wake of this fiery bath, there's a lot of chaos involved. Well, the loans supported the fiery bath, the wake, fiery bath, the wake of the fiery bath. I'm thinking of show titles. With the loans for episode 103, Matthew P. And Bigelow.com, with the loans supported the cash flow. While the loans supported the cash flow of struggling small and mid-sized firms during the pandemic and helped prevent bankruptcies, there were also concerns that they may have simply prolonged the lives of companies that inherently lacked earning power. Yes. So it wasn't the fact that we took away all your consumers and made everybody freak out from stepping outside of their houses. Your company was just automatically going to be destroyed anyways. Yeah. Mm. Well, we gave you some free money for your stupid business, and now you're not paying it back, so you can just go screw yourself. The industry sector with the highest number of bankruptcy in July was the service industry, with 262 cases, a year-on increase of 69%. It accounted for 34.5% of the total. Uh, and I think that's about it. Um, the last line, though, is always a good one to read. As COVID-related public support fades, the true resilience of businesses will be tested. Hmm, I wonder. I wonder. And even in 2022, in October, bankruptcies spark fears that zero-zero loans won't be repaid. And you can imagine that if a lot of these companies are relying on imports with the yen being like so low right now to the dollar, like historic lows, like since the mid nineties or early two thousands, um, their business models are basically, you get your business model taken away from you. It's handed back to you in a loan, but there's nobody there. And then as you're trying to make your business work through the imports that were set at a certain price for so long, the yen tip tops in value. <coughs> reverses in value. Now all of a sudden you have no customers, surging costs and no way to uh, handle it. So, but of course, according to this news article, you were just going to go to business anyway, fool. <clears throat> if they start reintroducing mass mandates in places, of course I'm not going to comply. I never did. Well, I did for until May and then a little bit after, to be honest, like in a hospital or a shop or something like that. But for a bit longer. But I'm not going to mask up my son, who is now about three years old, for three years of his early life development. We're not going to do it. So I'm just saying that right now. And I'm also putting this on the record to say, like, when these kids grow up and they're like, what the hell were you thinking? I'll be like, here's the podcast. <laughs> Japan's four-year spending on COVID inflation relief hit 68.5 trillion yen. Let's do another lockdown. Japan's spending to help the economy mitigate the shocks of the COVID-19 pandemic. No, it was the response to the pandemic. This comes to us from the Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. Will likely total around 68.5 trillion yen or $471 billion. Why is the yen so low? Why, why is this economy so shit in the four years to fiscal 2023? A Kyoto News analysis showed Saturday. 
with most of the funding coming from with most of the funding coming from debt issuance and the government's goal of restoring fiscal health taking a back seat prime minister fumio kishida faces the urgent task of carrying out spending reforms oh as the world's third largest economy recovers from the economic slump oh it's just a slump and he's going to be carrying out spending reforms Kyoto News used data submitted by the private sector members of a key government panel on fiscal policy and official figures in measuring the size of spending. Based on the calculations, the government spent 28 trillion yen in fiscal 2020, 15.4 trillion yen in 2021, and 15.1 trillion yen in fiscal 2022. The relevant, relevant figure for fiscal 2023 through next March stands at 10 trillion yen. Oh, wow, a 50% decrease so that they can say, we managed to decrease our spending by 50%. Japan's total annual spending, meanwhile, was somewhere between 130 trillion yen and 150 trillion yen for the past three years, with a record 114.38 trillion yen allocated to the fiscal 2023 general account budget. And I'm not going to go on from there. I'm just kind of (coughs) saying we had these crazy responses. Weird deaths going way up. COVID only accounting for 70,000 of them. And then all these businesses going out because they took out these loans that they, they're they interest-free, but now people like me have to pay them, I guess. And then um, the four-year spending on COVID and inflation relief. It's inflation relief. Hit 68.5 trillion. You know, like, well, this is the fault of COVID and Vladimir Putin. It has nothing to do <clears throat> with the way we responded to the COVID pandemic and the way that we treated Russia by withdrawing it from the SWIFT system, by focusing all of our energies onto transforming into a green economy that doesn't exist. This is all because of Putin and COVID. Like, ah, go screw yourselves. Go shut up about that. It's it's a living in la-la land, and it's. I wouldn't mind if it was like, this is the thing that I don't mind about conspiracy theorists, talking about flat earth. They live in their own place and they, they, they have Twitter and they might do some YouTube videos and I can skip. I can totally remove myself from the flat earth society and it will have no extra effect on my life. But with all of these people going and going, we need to spend $95 billion a day on climate change. Well, that does start to affect my life. And those are conspiracy theorists, essentially. There's no evidence that spending that money and just giving it to governments is going to do anything except give more money to governments and have no effect on the real world. Of course not. So we have these uh, people in power who will point at flat earthers and go, you are irresponsible conspiracy theorists and you're, you're spreading disinformation. Now please give me. Then they'll turn around and go to the next meeting and say, we need $55 billion a day to fight climate change because there's a fire in South Africa. Uh, that shit begins to spread into my life. And I think it's important to just st- stand up and say, like, 
you guys have lost the plot and um, everybody's starting to hate you and you're going to get money, but it's not going to be worth anything because you don't know what you're doing about it and you're not doing anything with it except giving it to yourself, but it's devaluing. So you're going to end up with less money, but then everybody's going to have less money. And then you say, well, now your house is worth a million dollars because of all the immigration. Now you're a millionaire, but you still need a million dollars to buy your next house, meaning you have nothing. So... All, all the conspiracy people can stay in their bubbles, but these like elite conspiracy catastrophists that are planning the demise inadvertently or advertently are, are beginning to affect us in, in multitudes of ways. And I, I'm tired of being like, I don't want to be accused of being a Trump supporter, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. But I'm just going to go along with it as I watch everything get worse because at least I have a nice pair of shoes. All right. Um, we're going to continue with a couple more things for the economy in Japan. Pensioners' share of spending hits nearly 40% of total in Japan. <laughs> this is economic heavy news. And this comes to us from the Nikkei. As Japan looks to stimulate consumer spending through pay hikes, a glaring problem has emerged. Pay increases do not benefit pensioners much. Uh, the elderly account for a growing share of personal consumption in Japan. Monthly spending by households headed by people 65 and older averaged uh, 20, about $1,400 in 2022, accounting for about 39% of the nation's total. Um, that is nearly double their share of around 23% in 2002. According to an estimate by Taika Hoshino, an economist at Daiichi Life Research Institute, a third of Japan's total consumption last year took place among households headed by unemployed seniors averaging 74 to 75 years old and considered pensioners. Japan's core consumer price index, all items, uh, all items uh, except from fresh foods, because why would you include that, rose by more than 3% for the 10th consecutive month in June. When you look into fresh foods, it's more like 7 to 10%. Wages, wage increases agreed during this year's, wait, wage increases agree, agreed during this year's spring labor management negotiations averaged 3.58% the biggest rise in 30 years, according to Rengo, Japan's largest labor union confederation. Uh, but benefits of these pay hikes do not reach pensioners. So even though it says it, we, it rose by more than 3% for the 10th consecutive month, except for fresh foods, which, you know, workers use to buy food, their wages to buy food, uh, inflation rose by more than 3% except food, but their, their, their biggest rise in 30 years was 3.58%. So the biggest pay rise by the Rengo, the, the largest trade union in Japan, for the past 30 years is not enough to keep up with inflation. So you get a 4% raise, but it's still not enough to, to, to make more money. You're making less money with a 4% raise. And then there's a graph here that I'm going to include onto um, MatthewPMBigelow.com. And it says, older people's share of consumption in Japan. Uh, the only reason I'm reading this report is like, it's, it's saying that we have to rely on pensioners for like 40% of consumer spending now. And the final thing for the economy before we move on 
this is a big report on the economy and I'm tying it into COVID uh, and the excess deaths because I'm seeing a lot of news going on right now about how we need more measures against this next variant. But everything that stems from our reactions to the stupid fucking coronavirus results in untold amounts of chaos. And there's no more response to it. That's what I want to say. No more response. Don't even put on a mask. Even putting on a mask sends a signal to other people that you need to wear a mask too now. It's not about like, oh, I might be afraid that I have cut a code. It's more like I am wearing a mask because I am worried about COVID, aren't you? Uh, last fine, final thing, and this is nothing to do with COVID, but it has to do with the ongoing research for the Japan What podcast into the decrease of dollarization, the de-dollarization of the world. And the only reason I look at this from the Japanese perspective is that Japan and, and, and uh, America and I'm Canadian are all very tied to the American dollar. <clears throat> and as we see our value decrease rapidly um, because of our COVID reactions and the money printing, and we're just, it's all American led, it's all American led. Um, we also now see other countries bailing out and when they start pooling their resources together, uh, it's going to affect us on the peripheries at first, but they'll be making inroads. So as our value of our pie decreases, there's more and more people taking their piece of the pie out of the equation and heading elsewhere. Another blow to the petrodollar, India and the United Arab Emirates completes first oil sale in rupees. So you see the Western world, the G7 nations saying, we got to get got to get out. No more oil. And other places like UAE and India are like, all right, well, let's just let's just trade in our own currencies as these crazy eco fucks destroy themselves. And we're going to come out on top at the end because those countries understand the power of so-called fossil fuels. Oil is not a fossil fuel. Oil is naturally occurring. It's abiotic. It says it's. It's produced somehow by the earth. It's not forests and dinosaurs in giant caverns underneath the crust of the uh, within the crust of the earth. This this idea of scarcity of oil is introduced by people like Rockefeller, which we'll get into later, <clears throat> to hike up the prices and make us worry and make us consume more. But as we uh, learn that other countries are off on their own missions, um, we're going to get the short end of the stick. So that is the economy for today. Not good. Not good at all. Here we go. We're going to take a look at um, something that happened, which is a big deal, apparently, last week. Japan, South Korea, and U.S. strengthen trilateral cooperation. And this is overall what I see is I, I want to see relations improve between Korea and Japan. Um, two powerhouses economically and societally and everythingly in Asia. Uh, countries that are largely doing most things right. And people will say, well, the comfort woman issue and Japan overtaking uh, Korea. Well, Korea was annexed by Japan. 
Japan built a lot of things up in Korea. Even a lot of um, the Samsung stuff started out with cooperation from Japan people. And uh, because Korea was technically Japan during World War II, uh, the Korean soldiers were technically Japanese soldiers at that time and fighting in the Imperial Army of Japan. So it's a complex history, and I'm not taking sides. I'm just saying that... Uh, the, the whole idea that one side is bad and the other side is just the victim is not the way to look at it. But I hope that we can get beyond all of that and work together more. Um, the trilateral time, this comes to us from the, the U.S. Defense Department. So this is defense.gov. Uh, just kind of a cool thing to, to kind of say. Um, the trilateral ties among Japan, the Republic of Korea, and the United States will make the world safer and the three countries stronger. President, U.S. President Joe Biden said at the conclusion of talks at Camp David in Maryland. The United States has decades of solid relations with both South Korea and Japan. Both nations are treaty allies with the United States. But forging a trilateral relationship has long proved difficult as there have been roadblocks to relations between South Korea and Japan. Biden praised the political courage of South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol and Japanese Prime Minister Kishida Fumio for their efforts to work together. I'm just including this because um, it's a backdrop for what I'm going to play next. This has to do with um, the meeting that they had uh, between Prime Minister Kishida, uh, Prime Minister Yul, I think it is. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong. And Mr. Joe Biden, uh, who can't really do anything. And I'm going to actually be playing some clips from the meeting at Camp David, uh, comments to the press by President Joe Biden. And this has kind of from Joe Biden's speech, which he didn't write because his brain is mush and he, he can't talk for five seconds without a note in his hand. If he does, he, he doesn't he goes way off the rails. But this is him talking about the aspects of the boost in trilateral ties between Japan, Korea, and the United States. Uh, and it was written by somebody else. And, and Mr. Joe Biden was surprisingly salient uh, during this meeting. So this comes to us from the YouTube channel, um, which has 2 million subscribers. And it's like the, the U.S. Uh, Department of Defense or U.S. government Our on trilateral YouTube. Trilateral Defense Cooperation. Oh, let's start it up here. This is the White House, 2 million subscribers, but there's been 12,000 views on this video updated three days ago. I'll be posting links. This is timestamped for appropriacy. Uh, let's just listen to Joe Biden speak. Precedent levels. We're doubling down on information sharing, including on the DPRK's missile launches and cyber activities, strengthening our ballistic missile defense cooperation, and critically, critically, we've all committed to swiftly consult with each other in response to threats to any one of our countries from whatever source it occurs. That means we'll have a hotline to share information and coordinate our responses whenever there is a crisis in the region or affecting any one of our countries. And today, we've reaffir all reaffirmed our shared commitment to maintain peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits and addressing, and addressing economic coercion. We're going to continue to counter threats from the DPRK, including cryptocurrency money laundering to the tune of billions of dollars, potential arms transfer in support of Russia's brutal war against Ukraine. And together, together, we're going to stand up for international law, freedom of nav navigation, and the peaceful resolution of disputes 
in the South China Sea. Second, we're expanding our economic cooperation to build an Indo-Pacific that is peaceful and prosperous. Today, we've committed to launch a new, what we call a supply chain early warning system, uh, a supply chain early warning system pilot, and which will alert our nations to disruptions of certain products and materials, like critical minerals or batteries, so we can get ahead of the issues as we, they appear with the experience uh, that we've experienced in, during the pandemic. Excuse me, this is falling off. When he says, excuse me, this is falling off, in the middle of his speech there, he started, Joe Biden started fiddling with cables for some reason on the edge of his podium. And uh, he, he, he just, I don't know what he's talking about there. But that's that's the end of that clip. So it just signals um, I mean, just kind of top-level coordination. It doesn't seem like it's that important or, or even that great. But it continues with the next clip that goes into further detail. And finally, our partnership is about building a better future for our people. That's why we're deepening our cooperation on global health Deeping. and launching a trilateral expert exchange in support of the U.S. Cancer Moonshot Initiative. That's going to, I believe, change cancer as we know it. It matters a great deal to me and to families all across our three countries. In the United States, we are revolutionizing the way we do cancer research, and together, the three of us, I'm confident we can harness our shared spirit of innovation and end cancer as we know it. That is a little crazy to me that, like, okay, here's a research paper from Japan and Korea and America. We mix it all together, and now we end cancer. Uh, uh, We're also launching a new collaboration between our national laboratories and advance our science, knowledge, and technological capabilities together. As we do, we'll work in lockstep to set the standards for safe, secure, and trustworthy emerging technology, including artificial intelligence, which a lot of work has to be done on. Of course, he's mentioning artificial intelligence in there, which a lot of work needs to be done on, whatever that means. He's also talking about Operation Lockstep. They will be in lockstep, but... I just want to mention that uh, there is such thing as a uh, information lockstep. And uh, this is from the Rockefeller Foundation. And sometimes if you look up Operation Lockstep, Rockefeller Foundation, you get like, this is a conspiracy theory. The, there's no intention for uh, the Rockefeller to inject all of the babies with 27 COVID vaccinations, as some people claim. You're like, ah, those people are crazy who talk about lockstep. But what if we're not talking about injecting babies 27 times. What if we're just talking about Operation Lockstep by the Rockefeller Foundation? Well, the Rockefeller Foundation, as I have in front of me right now, has a giant white paper called Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development. Uh, this was released in May 2010. And as we know, uh, long-term projects get long-term names and they get repeated over and over and over again. Case in point, Society 5.0. Um, so it, it, it talks about the Operation Lockstep in this document by the Rockefeller Foundation. We don't need to go into it too much, but just so that it's noted, um, there's four scenarios in this um, PDF that I have here. And one of them is Lockstep. It's just the name of a scenario narrative. And it says, a world of tighter top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership – 
with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. And this says like, oh, people who claim that the Rockefeller wrote about 2010 about pandemic and COVID-19 and did, 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 did. Well, this is the, um, the first couple of sentences from Operation Longstep here. In 2012, the pandemic that the world had been anticipating for years finally hit. Unlike 2009 H1N1, the flu virus, the new influenza strain originating from wild... Oh, H1N1 was that pig? That was pig. Wild geese was extremely virulent and deadly. Even the most pandemic-prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world, infecting nearly 20% of the global population and killing 8 million in just seven months, the majority of them healthy young adults. The pandemic also had a deadly effect on economies. International mobility of both people and goods screeched to a halt, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, so there, it does talk about pandemic preparedness and Operation Lockstep and um, some of the scenario narratives that occur within Operation Lockstep. So, and it also says the role of philanthropy in Operation Lockstep. Um, so technology in lockstep, all of these things, life in lockstep, and it gives these scenarios for everything like that. It's not exactly like a ex super prediction, but it does, it does exist. And then there's acting in lockstep, which is a military term, which is why I'm including this in the war scenario for today's, um, thing, because it mainly talks about it in, in terms of probably fighting against China in the, in the Taiwan Strait. So that's what we're going to do for today for war. It's war adjacent, but it's certainly, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's there. It's a there there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. Die for the war, everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war, die for the war. What should we finish with today? I'll just say, well, there's China. Let's do one quick thing on China. We're hearing that China is about to go down economically. It's time. There are a lot of their data is going dark. Well, even the data we know is pretty doubtful, but just one line from China. Shanghai ports export over 1 million automobiles. In the July, January to July segment. Now, that's a lot. This comes to us from uh, uh, HellenicShippingNews.com. And I'm going to be featuring more on shipping because of our supply chains. Shanghai ports exported 1.02 million vehicles in the first seven months of 2023, up 54.8% over the same period last year. Since the beginning of this year, a daily average of more than 2,000 automobiles have exported from the Haitong International Automobile Terminal, one of China's largest auto export terminals in Shanghai, to more than 100 countries and regions around the world. The terminal has exported 567,000 cars from January to July, of which more than 30% were new energy of vehicles. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Nangang Terminal... I'm part of the Nangang. The Nangang Terminal in Southeast Shanghai saw 176,000 vehicles exported during the same period. Among them, new energy vehicles accounted for 80%, and a new energy vehicle exports increased by more than 70% year-over-year. 
year on year. Of course, the source is Xinhua, which can it be trusted? I don't know. But even though we see, oh, the, the economic partnerships between China and the West are really, really dwindling in the pandemic, China managed to sequester so much of the supply chains, and now they're just taking their own behind the great firewall of China technology that's been developed there by kind of, you know, appropriating it from the Western countries that put all of their technology into China. China is now kind of using their, their economic ties with the West to separate themselves. And then China gets to sail off in a new direction with all of the technology that is kind of captured. And what's the West going to do? They're going to come back and they're going to say, we need more windmills and we need more solar panels and we need less Donald Trump. And that's about it. And so that's why we're at a major disadvantage now in the West, the G7 nations, of which Japan is part of. And there's no real leadership. And we're, we're, um, we're like a ship without a sail at the moment, aren't we? Aren't we, folks? So there's that news. And we're finally going to do some bugs, and then we'll leave it at that. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. <laughs> I got one. I got one. I'm gonna go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. Bug bullies. Buggling. People that use the incentives to eat bugs to bully others. Unintended consequences of crazy, dreamy people that somehow get into the system and affect all of our lives. I can be a crazy, dreamy person. I like making music. I try not to affect other people's lives, though. I don't want to get into the system and then poison the well by pooping in the pump. Um, <laughs> that's not a show title. Boss forces insect rice on the firefighters. Male f- so cases of workplace harassment proliferate in fire, de- pro- fire departments across Ehime Prefecture. Um, they are coerced into eating insects by their superiors, among other issues. A male firefighter in his 20s, employed by Kumakogen Taiwan Fire Department, said, quote, If you refuse, you get scolded. It's a constant state of being, so it was difficult. End quote. The workplace involves 24-hour shifts, preparing for deployments with members of the same team. Meals are taken together with superiors and colleagues, he says. Last October, during a mealtime, his superior brought out insect food. Quote, he sprinkled the insect food on the rice like seasoning and said, if I eat this, it's not harassment. He ate a spoonful and then pushed the rest of the food onto me. He says he was forcibly made to eat insects like crickets and silkworms, which are commercially available for consumption. Quote, there were other staff members around, but nobody could go against that superior. So we reluctantly watched with smiles. It didn't taste good. It was unpleasant. And I refused saying, I don't want to, but I was told to eat it. So I reluctantly did. Insect consumption is gaining attention as a potential solution for to future concerns about food shortages. However, many people have reservations, and experts point out the following. Professor Kani Oda, Faculty of Law and Letters, Ehime University, quote, If eating insects is not reasonably necessary for job-related purposes, it could be considered harassment. Regarding the relationship between the workforce, the municipal government, and the employer and the employees... There may be a potential issue of violating the obligation of safety considerations. End quote. 
So I think that's interesting. We have all of these uh, foods being released. Nobody wants them, but the NGOs are targeting the youth people. And they say to the youth, the world's going to die unless you make food for your elders. Then they make food for the elders. And the elders are like, I don't know what these kids are doing, but I'm hanging out with my uh, grandkids. So I'm pretty happy. And then some psycho at a mid-level position in some department somewhere, it could be a fire department, it could be anywhere, says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy all of this insect food, which is supposed to be good. I'm doing a good thing. And then make everybody I know around me eat it. And that's going to be my way to control, to foist myself onto others, to get in there like a middle manager and just make everybody shitty. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a goblin king with my pool of insects approved by the NGOs and even possibly a grandchild of mine. I'm a good guy by making these volunteers and, and employees eat the bugs I foist upon to them. I am the good guy. They are just peons. They will die in the blaze. May as well die with an insect belly full of bugs. Thank you for tuning into the Japan What Podcast. You can check us out at MatthewPMBigelow.com. We are part of the podcasting podcasting 2.0 infrastructure. What that means is that you can donate Bitcoin, Satoshis, micropayments to the podcast via your podcasting 2.0 apps. Why are you on these legacy apps? Go to Podverse. Go to Fountain. Go to CurioCaster. Go to PodFans. There's a whole new web 3.0 system developing that circumvents the tyranny imposed upon us by the crazy people in big tech who suddenly decide what everything is and how we should enjoy it. Nay, I say, get thee back and get thee to a nunnery. Quickly. Um, so go to MatthewPMBigelow.com to make a donation. Go to J- uh, PayPal.me forward slash JapanWUT to make a donation. Or just send up some traffic and check out the photos from today's wacky news. Again, we want to not go down the same COVID tyranny as before. Today was a summary, but also based on current data and current events of what happened last time. We do not repeat Do not need to repeat what happened ever again, ever. If it does happen, if it does repeat, resistance will be strong. Resistance will be resolute. And the resistance will win. King of the Ring.